Hi there, listeners, and welcome to episode nine of the Nerds of Business podcast. My name's Darren Moffat. I'm a director at WebBuzz, the growth marketing agency, and I'm your host. It's great to have you with us for the final installment of the branding series. Yes, after 11 guests and about 350 minutes of conversation, this is the last episode of season one. It's been a lot of fun and we've learned so much along the way. I hope the insights and ideas shared by our branding nerds have helped you crack the code to growth in your own venture. If you're a bit disappointed that the branding series is coming to an end, don't be sad. We'll be returning very soon with the same unique show format, but focused on solving another challenge that all entrepreneurs must overcome. We'll have a whole new panel of nerds to help us get the answers you need one problem at a time. I'm excited to announce the new theme for season two at the end of this show, so stick around for that. Regular listeners will know that season one has focused so far on how to establish and grow a brand. And episode six on brand equity looked at the opportunities a successful brand creates for its business owners. But brand equity also carries risk. When you've built something of value, you've got a lot more to lose if things go wrong. And that's what we're looking at today. We begin with an opening story that might just be the best of the season. It's a fascinating true tale of a brand who shot themselves in the foot, were ridiculed by competitors and the public, but who managed a remarkable recovery to overcome brand damage. The country of Great Britain is not known for its gastronomic sophistication. Its most famous dishes are hearty meals such as shepherd's pie, Yorkshire pudding and the charmingly named Spotted Dick. But in 2017, the UK was briefly famous for its chicken, or more precisely, a lack of it. Like any fast food chain, the British division of Kentucky Fried Chicken, or KFC, relies on a vast system of supply logistics to run its daily operations. In 2017, British KFC ended its relationship with longtime food delivery partner Bidvest Logistics in favour of a new supplier, DHL. The change delivered an absolute disaster to the KFC business. Within three months, KFC restaurants were running out of chicken. Hundreds of restaurants were soon forced to close, Global news outlets began covering the story. TV crews filmed angry customers bemoaning being forced to visit Burger King instead. At the peak of the crisis, 900 restaurants were closed. In one day alone, there were 53,000 social media mentions of KFC with the hashtags Chicken Crisis and KFC Crisis. In desperation, the company turns to its creative agency, Mother, for help. The agency identifies a vital insight from the data. 71% of the UK population visits KFC at least once a year, and a quarter eat in its outlets on a weekly or monthly basis. With the vast scale of such an audience, it's clear a broadcast message is required to reach them all in one hit. They decide on a full-page newspaper apology. 
but the agency know the creative direction needs something special. It features a photograph of the iconic KFC bucket of chicken, but the KFC logo emblazoned on the side is rearranged to instead read FCK. An apology written in everyday language follows underneath the image. The near expletive anagram of KFC's brand name seizes the public's attention. The ad, which originally appeared in just two UK newspapers, prompts more than 700 press articles, delivering a combined global audience of 797 million. A further 219 million social media users are exposed to the FCK image. Within three months, the campaign has generated a total earned reach of more than 1 billion, all from a single press ad. Amazingly, the brand not only recovers from the crisis, but actually improves its standing with key customer segments. Among people who would consider eating at KFC, its brand impression score of 57 is actually one point higher than it was pre-crisis. Now, if you suspect the main reason I chose the KFC story was for an excuse to use a chicken sound effect, you might well be right. But this story is interesting in so many ways. On one level, it's a classic case study of how random events can suddenly jolt any business into crisis mode. It also shows how social media can quickly cause negative brand sentiment to spiral out of control. Where it's perhaps unique, however is its use of humour in the official response. Most of the time, corporate atonement is a serious, po-faced affair that struggles to cut through to the public, let alone actually improve the brand perception. But the KFC response was brilliantly on brand. Its irreverent FCK apology was not only consistent with its brand values, it spoke in the language of its younger customer base. In fact, it was seen as so clever and authentic that those same consumers paid the brand overwhelming kudos on social media. The customer base effectively applauded the campaign in admiration. If you've built some brand equity or you plan on doing so, then the potential for a future brand damage event is a real threat you need to think about. So how can you prepare for reputation crisis and, when it comes, What should you do to give your brand the best chance of recovery? I love data. I I love kind of looking through the data. You need to have systems, you need to have structure. You're going to get chopped to pieces. Enthusiasm is unstoppable. We kind of hit a point where we were like, we need another lever. Surround yourself with people who are smarter than you and richer than you. (laughs) This is Nerds of Business. So the problem we're trying to solve and the title of today's episode is Brand Damage. What to do when your brand turns to shit. This is a highly specialised topic, so today's episode is a little different. We're focusing on just two expert guests from the world of reputation and crisis management. The people who inhabit this world are 
Like, like the SWAT team of brand marketing, they're rarely seen or heard in public. They operate behind the scenes to at first diffuse an immediate crisis and then repair the damaged brand of a company or individuals who find themselves in trouble. So it's a real privilege to have them on the show today. They'll lift the lid on what really goes on in the corporate world and share valuable tips for how SMEs can prepare for the worst. I think what they have to say might just change the way you run your business. But first, here's just a quick reminder that if you're enjoying Nerds of Business, to please hit the subscribe button on your podcast player. It means you'll automatically receive each new episode every fortnight, and it makes it easier for us to stay in touch. To some listeners, the concept of brand damage and specialists who are paid to fix it might sound fairly esoteric. John Michael is from the Image Group. For 30 years, he's been a leading brand and image consultant to some of the biggest names in sport and business. He's one of our two resident branding specialists for this series, and I asked him to explain brand damage in everyday language. Um, Brand damage, good examples right now would be, and I can give you distinctions if you like, right? I'll start from the biggies. Mm -hmm. Brand damage is the banks and the Royal Commission. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, it's department stores and bad customer service. Yep, it's digital companies and the deceitful behaviours. Yep. Okay, um, on a personal level, you know, it's master chefs and their restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's celebrities, athletes, and their personal lives. A bit like what I mentioned before with one of my clients. Mm-hmm. It's business leaders and their atrocious leadership. Now, the interesting thing here is, and we know this, if you look at cycles and wealth and so on, you know, when things are going really well, like Australia has been going really well for 30 years, mm. everyone gets comfortable, yep. complacent, mm-hmm. and we think the gravy train's going to be here forever. Um, so we take advantage of that. But in the current climate, right, especially the current climate, brands will be damaged big time for many, many reasons, yep. including personal brands. Mm. But the difference is, and this is a distinction here, between big brands to small brands, mm-hmm. i.e. Small, small business, uh, medium-sized business to corporations. Mm. The banks, for instance, like the Royal Commission found, can screw their clients and still survive. Yep. This business here, the small business, they try to do that, they finished and most likely could end up in jail. When it comes to brand damage on the internet, reputation management can get very complex very quickly. Sam Wilkinson is the head of digital at communication and corporate affairs firm Wilkinson Butler. Sam is the go-to guy for clients of his firm who need help with the online aspects of crisis management. Understandably, Sam's got a slightly different take on brand damage. Brand damage is really any any existing uh, asset that you can read or hear or be told about a brand that's going to make you think poorly of them. Um, um, the way that sort of manifests for most people is you you read a negative article, um, you see a negative review, 
Um, you might be on social media and people aren't talking very highly of a brand. Um, and, and uh, you know, lo- long gone are the days where brands can just bury their head under the sands or individuals as well. Um, you know, you've got to face these things head on now. These things don't just disappear overnight. They stick around. And the longer you wait to fix it, the worse it's going to get. Um, it's much easier to, to deal with one negative situation rather than let that compound and feed the next issue that rises. Um, so with brand damage, I mean, those things I'd mentioned are really the symptoms of the problem. Um, the first thing that we'll generally do when when assessing brand damage is try and look for what the root of that problem is. Great. And what's the typical type of client that would come to Wilkinson Butler? Like, you know, I'm sure that you... You've got different types of clients at different sort of sizes and uh, market capitalization and so on. But uh, and I know that you deal with some individuals as well. But maybe just paint a little picture for our listeners here and the typical type of client that you work with. Yeah. So quite often um, um, we'll get clients that have had um, some kind of crisis happen. Um, a good example of that might be. Um, um, that there has been a fire in a factory, um, um, you know, staff may or may, may or may not have been hurt, um, but it's something that the business should have been equipped for but wasn't fully equipped for. Um, certainly a lot of businesses that are small to medium um, don't really have staff or communication staff that are um, properly trained and equipped to deal with a crisis that happens and so what you get is a flurry of activity um, and and the leadership team wanting to deal with and manage a crisis but at the same time there's an unprecedented amount um, of communications challenges you've got the media calling you've quite often got some level of engagement from um, politicians if it's a large enough issue um, you've got um, obviously the the worried and stressed families um, of of the potential victims in a disaster like this, um, and and what these companies need is really a well-equipped team to come in and manage all of those facets, so that the leaders can just focus on fixing the problem and looking after their staff, which is the most important thing, and looking after the victims, obviously. Um, and so that is a good example of a crisis client that we'll get. Um, and, and generally, we will be called in at the last minute and it all happens quite, quite quickly. I also asked Sam what he sees as the main causes for a brand damage event that business owners should look out for. He also shares some real-life examples of brands who have died and those who have recovered and why. Really, clients that are suffering brand damage um, – have that damage because they haven't met an issue head on. Um, every company has something go wrong. Yep. Um, it's really about how you prepare for it mm-hmm. and how you handle it. Um, so if it, if it is something that manifests in the form of a negative article, it's about assessing whether that article is accurate or not. If it's not accurate, you can try to correct the facts. You can go down the path of defamation if that's applicable. If you can't do that, it's about looking at the issues that are caused or mentioned in that article, and it's about fixing the root of the problem to make sure that no 
future negative articles are going to come out. And once you're confident that you've overcome that stage, um, to actually then clean up the reputation, um, it's really about doing um, proactive media engagement, um, which speaks to the new version of you. It speaks to what you've done to overcome the problems. It speaks to your values and therefore it invalidates something that may have been up there previously. Um, it's about um, being proactive with creating social media assets and having positive content that goes out there that actually engages um, with the stakeholders. And it's about making sure that you've got um, websites and other assets that you own that are ranking quite highly in Google that are really showing you off in your best light possible. Great, great. And I, I think an interesting thread that's just run through that answer is the digital realm, right? So, you know, back in the, the, the golden era, the 70s and the 80s and pre-internet age, like if someone got into a bit of trouble or there was some sort of crisis or whatever, it was a lot easier to solve because, you know, there was only really broadcast media, TV, print, radio and so on. So I'd imagine back then it was a classic kind of PR media strategy. That's pretty much it. But nowadays, as you've alluded to, there's the internet. And once stuff gets it's published online, record. it's a permanent record, right? Mm. So how much of um, your work, um, as, as I know that's what you do personally, that's your focus, but within the agency, how much of that focus is on, you know, eradicating that permanent digital record or at least trying to mitigate it? Yeah, I mean, well, once something's up on Google, um, it never disappears. And so, you know, there, there are some... There are some people that um, they have quite a low profile online, and if that's the case, and, and something negative is written about you in the press, um, that article is going to stay on the front page of Google for the rest of your life. Um, and I've had clients that have had articles from you know, 15, 20 years ago that were sitting at you know, position one or two, and this is um, you know fairly innocuous stuff from a time long in their past. Um, and you're completely right in the old media world, there'd be a headline and there'd be a front page if it was really that serious. Um, but as time would pass, um, people would move on. And that just doesn't happen these days. Um, and so it's, it's really important that people understand that you have to be loud and proud about who you are and the good things that you do. And if you fly under the radar, um, and you like to be a private person, and that's completely fine. Um, um, if if something does happen, and you are named in an article, and that article may not even be correct, um, there's very very little you can do um, um, to get that completely removed. And so, really, the only solution, despite what many online websites may say about completely removing content, the only real solution is to build out assets that you own, to build out websites that talk about you, about how you engage with the community, about how you better support you and your staff, about, you know, any any other potentially philanthropic things that you do. Um, but really, really stuff that talks, talks about you that can counteract um, anything that may be inaccurate online or maybe old news online. Um, and so it's just about being proactive 
you know, having having profiles on social media that are active and are current and, and do therefore index quite highly in Google. Um, you know, a lot of the strategies that we do um, implement focus on, you know, engaging with media about, you know, the positive things that these individuals or businesses are doing. And so I think, you know, it's it's an important distinction to make that, you know, it is completely fine to bury your head under the sand digitally and, and, and not really have an enormous profile, but it is also an immense risk. So, okay, so that's a really interesting point. The fact that senior business leaders or a, a lot of CEOs or business owners who are of a certain age, maybe sort of, you know, past 50 or whatever, often won't have much of an online profile. You know, they won't have been very prolific users of social media and what you're saying there is that that is actually a risk completely completely and i completely understand people's aversion to not wanting to have social media profiles um you know whether whether you're a private person or you just can't keep up with the speed of of posting it is something that is immensely useful as a tool to be vocal about who you are what you stand for um and and so I think you know it's it's one of those things where you just have to, I mean, a lot a lot of people that have reputational issues online can, after the fact, create these profiles, mm. um, and and can start engaging with people um, about regarding who they are. You know, just to take it out of the theoretical realm now and sort of make it a little more concrete for our listeners. What's an example of a company that has has really died from brand damage? It's just, you know, they suffered an event and, you know, it's just they, they weren't able to recover. Um, look, I think in Australian folklore, there are some massive companies that are quite obvious. Um, I think Dreamworld is a good example of that. Yep. NAB and AMP um, and, and more recently Rio Tinto um, with the whole Duke and Gorge scandal i mean blowing up these forty thousand year old rock caves um that have this huge significant amongst the uh, huge significance amongst the indigenous population and i think really there is just some some obvious symptoms that carry through all of these examples um you know they take a long time to respond when they do they don't actually apportion blame to anyone they've got weak key messages they've got bad company spokespeople um, and their values are completely out of line um, with the expectations of the public so Um, i'll stop you on that point because i think that's actually uh, sorry to cut you off but that is i think the real key insight there that a lot of a lot of the, the the responses of these big companies that find themselves in trouble seems to be very arrogant they they think Absolutely. they can just push them push past it, you know. Don't need to worry about um, public perception or you know we'll ride this out and so on. But uh, in some of those examples that you mentioned, I think it's very much the case that they've misread fundamental change in the community and in the values that the community now expects. So what might have been possible to ride out, you know, five years ago, ten years ago, is suddenly it's a deal breaker. Yep. I think um, I think a really good example of that is the Me Too movement, right? Yeah. So when this happened there, and, and, and it's a perfect example of, you know, a shift in values. Um, there, there was a there was a complete shift in expectations 
um, on one side and it, and it happened rapidly. I mean, for, for most people like you and me, it, it's something where we were already there, but for how that was perceived in the media was it went from, you know, on some scale of acceptability to completely not acceptable and it just dropped. Um, and so you had a lot of these, I mean, particularly with some of these old dinosaurs, um, a, a complete um, lack of correlation with their values. And so what happened is um, boards had to act extremely swiftly when allegations were made that, you know, were truthful upon inspection. They had to get rid of these dinosaurs straight away. And so what you had was when companies can realign their values very, very quickly in line with the, the expectation of the community, they will survive. And if they don't do it, um, they'll burn. And yep. so what you've got now is you've got, um, you know, um, people that have been able to make that shift or people that are yet to be fired. Yes, and, and the court of public opinion once it gets going, particularly with the whole um, amplifier now of social media and the movements that have sprung up, as you mentioned, the Me Too movement is is one. Um, it really makes it quite difficult for these companies to get back get back on top of it to use the um, the tortured cliche to put the genie back in the bottle, so to speak. But on the flip mm. side, what's an example that you can think of of a company who has successfully recovered from brand damage, whether it be Australian or inter- international? I mean, the lovely thing about companies that that do it well is you don't really hear about them too often. Yeah. Recently, QBE had an issue where a young woman in the company had filed a complaint against the CEO for being inappropriate. Um, the board acted swiftly, and by swiftly, I mean immediately. Um, they jumped on it straight away. They had engaged um, a number of external agencies, as I understand it, um, to, to be that external lens, which counteracts, as you said before, the the arrogance that that some of these larger companies can have in in, in feeling immune from the pressures of the outside world. Um, so suddenly you've got an external agency giving them real talk. Um, and what happened is very quickly the CEO got the flick. And unlike, you know, um, examples like some of the major banks, um, he lost all of his shares. Um, I believe there was a payout, but that was to do with um, accrued holiday pay or something like that. But um, I think, I think, given the expectations that most Australians have around how companies like QBE have been acting, um, it was, I think, something that stood out for for me and certainly some of my colleagues as surprising in a good way. So, if you're an entrepreneur. How do you mitigate the risk of your business flaming out due to unforeseen events? John Michael from the Image Group has some compelling answers. Well, have a definitely have a crisis management plan system in place mm-hmm. before any of this starts. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's you know that includes also social media policies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what you can do, what you can't do. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's just essential. If somebody's going to be, whoever's representing the brand has to be part of this. They have to sort of lean in because yep. if they don't, if they don't, then basically uh, they, they're creating risks themselves. Yeah. Now, in the unprecedented crisis, and this is an unprecedented crisis for all of us in peacetime that we've ever experienced, yep. yeah? 
Uh, if you haven't got some sort of plan, and if you haven't got one now, quickly create one, right? Mm-hmm. You've still got time, okay? Uh, you know, at least that plan gives you a bit of security from the point of view you can control what you can control. Yeah. Some things we just can't control. What the government does, you know, where this thing, you know, ends up, we don't know. We, we've got no idea, okay? Yeah. So, but you can control your emotions, yeah? You know, you can control aspects of your being, including your finan- your finances, hopefully, yeah. right? So you've got to look at all the things you can control, okay? And I think from that, you know, as part of your system, personal or business, you've got an opportunity then to ride through, ride through this. But if you get the opportunity, create a plan. Do it now if you haven't got one. Great. I think that's great advice. And what systems or processes should a company use to manage a brand or reputation crisis? So let's say that, you know, they had a plan, but it's something still happened anyway. Once that event is out there, what systems can they use to manage it? Well, first of all, you, you, you know, you need to communicate as quickly as you can mm-hmm. the truth. Yeah. yeah? Uh, if you try to play games around that, you will be found out eventually. Yeah. So, and also, you know, whoever's going to be leading the charge here, the media spokesperson, for instance, make sure they're damn good at what they do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so great communicator, hopefully as um, natural and authentic as possible, right? Yeah. The reason I say that, because it's not always easy to get that yeah. in in what I'm talking about here with commerce people. Mm. Okay. Because there's a lot of predetermined thinking around what that person should be and what they should do and so on. But my approach around that is, you know, get the right spokesperson. Yeah. Um, Not a talking head. Make sure they're smart. They're real. uh, And basically face your challenges with courage and honesty, you know, and, um, Make sure that you stick to the foundations your whole business is built on. Yep. Okay, you know you will you will basically get through most things in life. Yeah, you know I can't tell you how many times I've had clients get through a lot of this, but they were very proactive. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, and the crisis, by the way, does not mean always. You know, you call your lawyer first. Okay, in my experience with some clients, and by the way. For all my legal friends that are listening, I love you, okay? But basically, some of them have created actually worse problems. Yep. Because they've made it legalese and took it away from the human nature of human beings to connect. Yeah. Okay? And that, and I've seen serious failures. There. Some of my clients failures because it became out of my hands and it became a legal issue. Yep. You know, sometimes it can become, you know, and I say that because, again, I've seen small business get destroyed here. It can become a legal issue when it had nothing to do with legal. Yeah, whereas if they were more human right from the start, it wouldn't have got to that point. Yeah, if well, then you can negotiate, you know, talk, talk things over, okay, um, and hopefully create some sort of win-win there for everybody, you know. So just, I suppose, look, just be careful around how you do that. Um, but you, you can, you can certainly, you you can certainly get over it with the right system. So, John, um, we now come to another. Recurring segment at Nerds of Business called Nerd Superpower. So this is Nerd Superpower, and now you are the 
personal branding, the, the reputation and crisis management nerd. You, you obviously, you know, this is your uh, very, very uh, strong area of expertise. Um, <coughs> what I'd really like to learn here is if you had to identify one quality, skill or attribute about yourself that really gave you that edge, you know, gives you that advantage in the market, What what is it? Are you talking about me personally? Yeah, I'm talking about you personally as it relates to the work you do. Okay. If that's the case, then it'd have to be contrarian. Contrarian, yep. Yeah. Uh, if, if I could pick one word, you know, mm. but, but uh, you know, that's that's would be my number one word because I'm the type of guy when 100 people are saying this, yep. I'm the guy that says why. Okay. Yep. You know, and it comes from a, a very Socratic dialogue perspective. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it, you that's know, it's it, nerdy. That's that's very nerdy. That's nerdy. Uh, you're talking about uh, Socrates, uh, the uh, the Greek philosopher. There, um, we we haven't had had that come up before. Um, so uh, yeah, you you um you've really hit a home run there. We love the nerdy stuff here at Nerds of Business. Um, so yeah, it's coming from. Um, a, a, a Socratic place. Uh, tell us a bit more about that. Well, it's it's you know it's basically a questioning dialogue perspective of you know uh, you don't know all the answers you haven't got all the answers. Yep. Okay, and you basically unearth by asking great questions. Yep. Okay, and it's essential. And you know, even in business, as you know, Darren, that's a great skill to have. Uh, because it, it, you know, because it gets you back to the foundations. And Sam from Wilkinson Butler has some further perspectives on this. Listen to what he has to say about the concept of reputational credit and the importance of online reviews, especially for small business. I was going to ask you how can companies mitigate the risk of brand damage, but I think that was that was a perfect answer right there. Um, yeah, well, I think, I mean, it it just comes down to reputational credit, right? I mean, if 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 you have a complete vacuum of information about you online and something negative happens um, or something negative is written about you that, that may or may not even be true um, um, or could be completely exaggerated, that, that is the only thing that people are going to know. Yeah. Um, but if you are extremely vocal about, all of the positive things that you are doing um, for, for you, for your staff, for the community, um, for charities, um, you know, and and you really develop a personal brand and an online profile that, um, you know, shows everything that you do. Um, it is going to be the yin to the yang, if you like. And so it means that, you know, if someone has a negative review of you online, um, you're going to have 200 positive reviews that completely negate that. Yeah. Um, and so it's really just important to build up um, this reputational credit early on um, um, so that you can absorb these bumps along the road, if you and, like. And there will be bumps. And and people, most people are reasonable, you know, like I know myself when I'm looking for, you know, to bring this down to sort of the local level, you know, if you're uh, looking at a restaurant and you're looking at reviews where, where you might go out for, you know, um, Saturday night, assuming you, you can go out in this, this COVID world. But, um, you know, and if you're seeing a restaurant and the last 
review is bad, you know, and it's 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 a stinker. It's like a one one star review, and someone's having a massive rant, um, which is kind of entertaining in itself. But but then then you you look beyond that and you say, oh, well, hang on a minute, like there are four and a half stars generally here, and there's hun- you know dozens or hundreds of other positive reviews. Clearly, that person either had a bad night, they got unlucky, or they're just one of those whingers that are just going to find the negative in anything, right? Every um, with with reviews, every company needs to be prepared for for negative reviews. Um, if you're really really good at what you do, you're going to have several competitors go online and trash your reviews to begin with. Um, And you're going to kick up a stink and it's going to seem really, really unfair. And you're going to realize very quickly there's not much that Google or Facebook or any other platform will actually do to remove them. Um, And so given the fact that you understand this, you need to be really, really proactive um, with your customers about engaging them, about asking them to leave reviews about maybe having collateral or signage if, if you're a store in your store saying, you know, we're a small business, we thrive on reviews, we'd really love it if you could um, leave one for us. You know, something, you know, innocuous like that, you know. Um, these kind of things are fairly low touch. Um, you know, you can do it similarly in some kind of newsletter format as a follow-up, maybe even with a little survey of, you know, how was, how was the person that, um, you know, handled um, handled your inquiry today, or you know, you know, how did you find our service at the restaurant this evening? Um, something like that is quite easy to set up, um, and and really, what you're going to find is that if someone's had a good experience, um, and they're asked quite politely if they can spend thirty seconds to leave a review, they're going to do it. Yep. Um, and so, having some small processes like that set up mean that means that over a year or two years you can bed down you know two three hundred positive reviews um and what you're going to find is even if you get you know 21 star poor reviews it's it's going to be a very very small bump indeed thing i failed to mention before was um if if you ever have a negative or positive in for that matter review um it is really really important that you respond to them um, a positive review is incredibly easy to respond to. You know, thank you, Andre. It was lovely having you this evening. Um, you know, please come, please come back again soon. But if you have a negative review, um, you know, you've got, you can in three or four paragraphs, you can quite thoroughly um, explain if it is accurate what happened on the night yep. and provide the yin to the yang, if you like. Um, but. But if it is completely inaccurate or completely unfair um, and, you know, you've tried to get it removed, but quite often Google is um, very, very difficult to get because you can't, they quite often they can't prove who's right or who's wrong. Um, And so you just need to really pick it apart and say, you know, we've investigated the issue that happened this evening. Here's how we, here's what we understand actually happened. Um, and if you'd like to come in again and actually speak to us, um, you know, my name is this and you can, you can email us, um, you know, here, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you got, you just got to treat every review fairly, but if you respond, anyone is going to see that, okay, the person who has left the negative comment, they've now got an option. They can respond to that and actually resolve whatever the issue was. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I, I think it's really unwise 
when it comes to reviews, and I've seen this happen, I, I wonder if you have as well, where someone's left a bad review on a business and the business owner has really attacked the reviewer. Oh, shocking. <laughs> you know, they've just shocking. gone on a massive rant and yep. called the, the reviewer all the names under the sun and that – that can't help, right? Like that, that's that got to be sort of rule 101 not to uh, attack the negative reviewer, yeah? Yeah, completely. I mean, it's I've seen, I've seen some businesses get completely named and shamed for it. Um, no one is ever, ever, ever going to want to um, support your business or go to your store if you treat people badly. That's yeah. just the end of it. Um, even if you and, are in the right. Even if, even, even, if, even if you are in the right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just... It's just, it's just basic manners. Um, if 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 you know someone who's doing this, or if it's your boss, or if it's you, um, hand the reins over to someone else, please. It's <laughs> the worst thing you could be doing. <laughs> Good advice. If you think a drop in sales is the only reason to worry about the possibility of a brand damage event, then I'd suggest maybe it's time to think again. It can have a huge impact on your people too. And according to Sam from Wilkinson Butler, it all comes down to leadership. But there are, you know, plenty of amazing innovative industries out there where everyone is competing to live out strong values that care for people and want to be the positive change in the world. And I think particularly with with the generations that are moving into the workforce at the moment, that is the number one thing that they are looking for. Um, they're looking for um, a career where they can stick with a company that's going to enact positive change in the world. And, you know, these are young, digitally savvy people that, um, you know, they spend time to research the companies they're moving into. So when they go and type these companies on Google, they're going to websites like Glassdoor um, and they're trying to understand, um, you know, what it's going to be like for them working in a company, what it's going to be like um, um, regarding the culture um, um, and the stress. And there are websites out there that have, you know, complete transparency, offer complete transparency for most companies. Um, and so it's not about, as I said before, it's not about, you know, an issue comes up and so you try and build some um, some websites that um, you know um, um, talk about you in a positive light to try and you know fix or counteract some of the negative stories. You know, it it needs to be a really honest process about fundamentally setting your business up from a digital standpoint early on um, before any potential crisis or issue or negative article or, or, or thing happens down the line. You need to have, you know, well-defined values that are transparent, um, that live and breathe through your website, that live and breathe through the profile of the people that you have on your leadership team, um, that live and breathe through the key messages that your spokesperson is speaking to every time you guys are out speaking with journalists or in front of the media. Um, and, and if you do all of those things, you are going to completely set yourself apart um, um, from 99% of companies out there. 
So the problem we set out to solve in this episode was brand damage. What to do when your brand turns to shit. Our resident branding expert, John Michael from The Image Group, has given us some valuable practical tips on how to mitigate brand damage and why that's so important. And we've also heard some fascinating insights from our special guest, Sam Wilkinson from Wilkinson Butler. As entrepreneurs and business leaders, I know we all like to focus on growth, but this episode shows that managing risk is just as important if your brand is to survive the inevitable ups and downs of business. I hope the wisdom and insights of our guests have given you ideas to protect the brand equity that you've worked so hard to build. For me, however, there are three important takeaways from this episode. Firstly, you need to plan ahead. As both of our guests said, prevention is way better than the cure. So if you haven't already done it, go away and develop a crisis management plan. It's a small time investment you won't regret. Secondly, If you and your business don't have a social media profile already, now is the time to build one. Remember, social media is not just for sales and growth. It's also a defensive play. As Sam said, a well-developed social media profile that communicates your values over many years is perhaps your best protection against a brand damage event. Finally, reflect on the culture in your business and identify any toxic elements that could cause future problems. As Sam said, bad culture is at the heart of so much avoidable brand damage. So find it in your organization and root it out before it's too late. As we heard at the top of the episode with the KFC case study, random events can come from seemingly nowhere to wreak absolute havoc on even the biggest businesses. And social media can amplify any negative feedback loop to devastating effect on the brand. It's a fact of life that things will go wrong in business. But if you have a plan, act fast and respond in a clever, on-brand way, you might just turn crisis into an opportunity that takes your brand to the next level. We're coming to the end, but before we go, it's time for our regular segment, Nerd Under Pressure, where a guest has to share one killer hack or tip they recommend for you, our listeners. Let's find out who our Nerd Under Pressure is today. Uh, So, John, we've got another uh, recurring segment here uh, called... Nerd Under Pressure. So this is your time under the spotlight as the reputation crisis management nerd, what's one killer hack that you can recommend to businesses for overcoming brand damage? Your thinking time starts now. Be authentic. Be real. Yep. And communicate with, you know, with with passion, mm-hmm. but more importantly, with clarity that whatever's happened, mm-hmm. you're willing to have a go and apologize, say sorry, whatever. By the way, the lawyers are going to tell you no sorry, okay? Yep. Do whatever you take. You, you need to do to take it to the next level. Yep. So thanks for listening to Episode 9 of Nerds of Business. This brings us to the end of Season 1 and the branding series. As I mentioned earlier, we'll be back soon with Season 2, 
which I can now announce is on product development. Just like season one, we'll have a rotating panel of nerds, only this time it will include product design experts and entrepreneurs who've developed and launched a product successfully to market. We've got guests from a diverse range of industries, including tech, fashion, hospitality, wellness, and venture capital. Whether you're an existing business owner or an aspiring entrepreneur, I'm confident this new season will help you better develop products and services you need to grow. We're in pre-production right now, so for a month or two between seasons, we'll be running a series of bonus and special episodes. Look out for some uncut interviews where you can hear more of your favourite nerds from season one. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps us climb up the ranks and become more visible to other people just like you. We want to help as many entrepreneurs and businesses as possible. If you've got a question or some feedback, of course, we'd love to hear from you. You can engage with us at webbuzz.com.au forward slash nerds. That's webbuzz.com.au forward slash nerds. So feel free to reach out and say hello or ask a question. I want to thank all the guests who appeared on the branding series. A big shout out to Rachel Bevins, John Michael, Neil Luo, Rob Newman, Victoria Costa, Fred Shabesta, Pick Pico, Andre Eichmeyer, Ruth Truella, Ben Carew, and Sam Wilkinson. A special thanks to the team at WebBuzz for helping me put this show together. We'll be back in two weeks with the first of our special episodes, which is an interview with ex-Democratic Party pollster and data marketing nerd from the United States, Mike Berland. Now, if you have even a passing fascination in the nexus between politics and business, you won't want to miss this. Until then, I'm your host, Darren Moffat, and I look forward to nerding out with you next time. Bye for now.